Thank you, praise, worship team. Andrew, I appreciate what you were adding on the keys, the unique sound on that one. Boys and girls that are headed to Children's Church, you are dismissed. We're going to be in the book of Judges, chapter 17, today. In our world, sometimes there's this attitude that if it seems to work, if it seems right and works well, then just do it. It's a great attitude if you're dealing with something that needs duct tape. Okay? If it needs tape, great. Needs a Band-Aid, great. If it needs a MacGyver solution, go for it. But when it comes to our walk with God, we have to be very careful that we take our cues and, and orders from Him and not just according to what seems right and works well, because that is making our own religion, which is something that God speaks regularly against in the pages of Scripture. Many cultures have used religion to just get the job done. It seemed right to make a sacrifice. It seemed right to worship the God of the harvest or the God of fertility. And in the process, there's been a harvest, and they've gotten what they wanted, so it's reinforced this pragmatic approach that if it seems right and works well, just keep doing it. In fact, when it doesn't keep working well, just do it better and try harder. Today, many in our culture would even skip the concept of worshiping a version of God to get what you want. And what they'd go with is if it seems right and works well, whether or not it has God in it, just go for it. Today, in our text from Judges chapter 17 and 18, we're going to see them making their own religion. If you're using the Pew Bible, page 256. If you are reading that Pew Bible and it makes sense and the language works for you, or the text is a size that you can read, and you don't have a Bible at home and a translation you can read and understand, be our guest. Keep that Bible, read it, follow along with it, see God's desires for what you know about Him and how you live in light of that in the Bible. Last week we looked at someone super strong and yet so weak when we talked about Samson. We talked about his great strength that was actually surpassed by his great weakness. His lack of self-control, his lack of surrendering to what God actually had for him, made him one of the weakest superheroes around. Today we're going to look at a priest and a tribe that let their desires run their life, and we never see them turning back to God. In fact, it seems to spread as it goes. This week in Judges 17 and 18, as I noted at the beginning, one of the more obscure passages in the book of Judges. Not one that most of us coming in today were incredibly familiar with. If you've been around the church for a reasonable amount of time, you probably knew something about Samson. Uh, particularly if you were involved in children's Sunday school, you knew something about Samson. I don't think this text normally makes it into children's Sunday school lessons. And I can promise you that the one from next week does not normally make it into children's Sunday school lessons. In fact, next week, we're going to expand children's church. 
Okay, next week, if you are not entering middle school, which, by the way, for most of you starts tomorrow, so if you have not completed sixth grade, there is an option for an expanded and second children's church for you for next week. But for those that are in middle school, high school, I think it'll be an appropriate level for you to be in here as we work through God's Word. I'm going to summarize a lot of the material next week and make some application for us from it. But expanded children's church next week. And as a reminder, the week after that will be the first Sunday of the month, no children's church. So we're going to go from having no little ones in here at all in the children's ministry next week to a bunch of them in here the following week. All right, Judges 17, verse 1. Follow along with me. There was a man of the hill country of Ephraim whose name was Micah. And he said to his mother, the 1,100 pieces of silver that were taken from you, about which you uttered a curse and also spoke it in my ears, Behold, the silver is with me. I took it. And his mother said, Blessed be my son by the Lord. And he restored the 1,100 pieces of silver to his mother. And his mother said, I dedicate the silver to the Lord from my hand for my son to make a carved image and a metal image. Now, therefore, I will restore it to you. So when he restored the money to his mother, his mother took 200 pieces of silver and gave it to the silversmith who made it a carved image and a metal image, and it was in the house of Micah. And the man Micah had a shrine, and he made an ephod, which is a priestly garment, and household gods, and he ordained one of his sons who became his priest. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. All right. For those of you that have been with us a couple of times in the book of Judges, we are missing something at the beginning of today's text. Normally, our story in the book of Judges has started with the people of Israel did what? You can say it out loud. Again, did evil or wrong in the sight of the Lord. When we hit chapter 17 that phrase begins to disappear. And we get this phrase in verse 6. Instead of they did what was evil again in the sight of the Lord, there's this hint that there's no king, there's no good and godly leader that's going to keep them on the right path. So they seem to be, in the absence of leadership, doing wrong things. And that's going to come up all the time in these last five chapters of the book of Judges. By the way, the time period of the Judges ends with Samuel, all right, who appoints a king. So Judges goes out of the time period of Judges and into a king, and we have King Saul, who did okay sometimes, and then King David, who had a bunch of mistakes, but who actually did some good things, and Solomon, who started well, but ended in a disaster, and then a bunch of bad kings. But the book of Judges looks at a time period from the eyes of the people that were like, you know what? We need a leader who is actually not just a judge, but a king to lead us. And in those days, in the absence of godly leadership, people follow and do things that are right in their own eyes, contrasted with right in the eyes of the Lord. This story at the beginning is bizarre. 
to some degree, it reads like a country music song. Okay, let me, let me just summarize it for you. A son steals a lot of money from his mama, approximately a million dollars worth, give or take. That's a lot of money to steal from mama, okay? Mama calls out to God to bring a curse on whoever stole the money. He finds out mama called out to God, did her witch doctor thing to God, curse whoever took my money. He goes back to mama and says, mama, don't kill me. She says, God, please don't kill him. Bless him. And oh yeah, God, because I'm so happy that you're going to bless my son or because I want to pay you off to bless my son, God, I'm going to give you the money. Now, she started with 1,100 pieces of silver and she decides to give God, after saying she's going to give God, she gives God 200 of the 1,100 when the text seems to suggest she's going to do it all. Which, by the way, she probably felt pretty good about herself because that was like double a tithe. So she went to her pastor and was like, Pastor, I'm giving Jesus double a tithe. Aren't you so happy with me? Okay? And the way that she chose to honor God and give the money to God after saying all of it, giving part of it, was to make idols and statues to help them worship God. Okay? This is bizarre for lots of reasons. It's bizarre because the son steals from his mama who readily takes him back. No, no slap on the wrist, no anger, no frustration. We're going to honor God here. We're going to give God the money. We're going to give God part of the money as if God didn't know what all the money was. And they're going to honor God by not just giving the money in good causes or trusting it to the temple and the local uh, equivalent of the local church, anything like that. No, they're going to give to God and make an idol so that they can use that to help them in their worship. As if they have forgotten the Ten Commandments, which, like, I understand there's a whole lot of laws in the Old Testament, but the Ten Commandments are ones that they should have kept in mind here. The whole no making of idols was kind of a big deal. And if that wasn't enough, because some people are better at remembering stories than Bible verses. Like some of you remember the stories and the actual events and what happened, but you really struggle with the exact words. So in case they struggled with the exact words, they, pro they had this story in their history from that time when like Moses was up on the mountain and God had given his people money through as he set them free from Egypt and they brought the money to Aaron and said, Aaron, make us something to help us worship God. And Aaron's like, hey, I threw the money into the fire and out came a golden calf. It was miraculous. It was like the first evidence of the big bang. And, you know, I just threw it in, bang, out came a golden calf. No, okay, nobody actually believes out came a golden calf. They actually, like, were more active than they wanted to give credit for. I mean, that's like a kid saying, Mom, you know, that disaster, it just happened. Okay. No, it didn't just happen. And the last time that they had done this, Things did not go well for them. They might not remember, you shall have no gods before me and not make any idols. In the exact text of the Ten Commandments, the exact wording, they might not be good at memorizing their Bible verses, but they should at least know their history that the last time that they tried to use something to help them worship God, it did not help. But they didn't remember it. Like us, they probably thought, well, next time will be better. Here, Micah thinks, this is going to go well. So he makes his own way to help him worship God. 
And then because, you know what, having an idol is not enough when you're making your own religion, you need your own religious ruler. And what better way when you don't have a religious ruler to help you than to make your son one? Hey, we've got a new family business for you to enter. It's called the priesthood. You're not eligible for the actual priesthood, but we're going to give you a garment and let you play dress up as a pastor. Yes, it is bizarre. Yes, it is way outside God's directions. Yes, they did what was right in their own eyes. Here at the end of Judges, the author is pointing us to the hope that a king would lead people to honor the Lord and do what is right in God's eyes. Boys and girls, box one. Draw a person bowing down to a fancy-looking idol. By the way, today, boys and girls, I'm only going to give you your first three boxes. You can do whatever you want to from the sermon for box number four. So I may have already said something you want to draw, or I may say something later that you want to draw, or you may wait all the way to the end and draw your own heart or you worshiping the Lord. But I'm not going to tell you what to do in the last box. I'm going to tell you box one, box two, and box three, and you get to do whatever you want in box four. But that still means do something, okay? All right, so advanced note-taking a little bit for our boys and girls today. From their cultural perspective, surrounded by people that did not worship the Lord as they should, this seemed right. It seemed right in their eyes. They did what was right, and yet it was still so wrong because they added a new way to worship God. What starts, and they even use the language, like the L-O-R-D, if you're using a Bible translation that actually keeps things in capitals, that L-O-R-D is actually capitalized, meaning that they're using the covenant name for God, the personal name of God that they should have known something about, and they're adding a new way to worship that God, not some other God. They don't think they're worshiping the wrong God, they're just worshiping the right God the wrong way. But it seems right in their eyes, and yet it's still so wrong because they're outside what God has commanded. It seemed good to them. It seemed convenient to them. I mean, I can imagine the way that the conversation went here with Micah and his mom, like, hey, we'll make, a, we'll make something that helps us remember to worship God. It's like putting a sticky note around, remember to worship God. And they do it with this idol and this statue. And they're like, hey, this will help us remember. Whenever we see it, we'll remember to worship God. And you know what? what here's what's really, really nice about this. Like, when we have this thing in our house that helps us to remember to worship God, we don't have to go all the way to wherever the ark is or that later they, the temple. We don't have to go to those special locations to worship God. Like, we can worship God wherever we are our way. It's a lot more convenient to worship God from home than it is to, to go gather with other people and do what God has commanded in the gathering together. I imagine that this what part of the way the conversation went down. Like, hey, I see that. That helps me worship. It's a lot more convenient. Do you know how many more times we can worship God if we're not actually like traveling to worship God where God has said we ought to be? Now, I'll let you read between the lines for today for ways in which we worship what we want to about God as a matter of convenience rather than what Scripture has commanded we do. But I'll also remind you 
that Scripture commands that when possible, we do not forsake gathering together for the sake of convenience. So, I don't know all the reasons why they did this, but I'm sure that part of their justification for doing what they were doing was convenience. And it would help them. And besides, all those people could probably get on their nerves. We've got to be careful that we don't evaluate right and wrong according to our culture. They did what was right in their own eyes. They had good reason for it. They did not think they were doing wrong. But they failed to measure what they were doing by what God had said ought to be done. All too often, that can be me too. Doing what I think is right, but failing to make sure that it's what God says is right. I'm very confident that that can be all of us, whether you're watching online or whether you're in the room. Micah was guilty of borrowing from sinful culture, bringing it into a relationship with God in all the wrong ways. We get to verse 7. I'm going to read from verse 7 and following. Now remember, he had appointed his own son to be his priest because he needed a good religious leader, so he'd appointed his son to do it. Now, there was a young man of Bethlehem in Judah, of the family of Judah, who was a Levite. All right, right after the priest thing, remember the Levites are like the priestly tribe. Okay, so this is the priestly tribe. He sojourned there, stayed there. The man departed from the town of Bethlehem in Judah to sojourn where he could find a place. And as he journeyed, he came to the hill country of Ephraim, to the house of Micah. And Micah said to him, where do you come from? And he said to him, I'm a Levite of Bethlehem in Judah, and I'm going to sojourn where I might find a place. So Micah said to him, stay with me, and be to me a father and a priest, and I'll give you ten pieces of silver a year. I have plenty of extra silver laying around, so particularly at ten pieces. A silver a year, a suit of clothing, and your living. I'll take care of you, and I'm going to give you a salary of ten silver pieces a year, which shows you how much money, if he was willing to work for ten pieces of silver a year, 1,100 pieces of silver is. Okay. All right, story continues. The Levite went in, and the Levite was content to dwell with the man, and the young man became to him like one of his sons. Yeah, because you hired your son to be this job before, okay? Micah ordained the Levite, and the young man became his priest and was in the house of Micah. And Micah said, Now I know that the Lord will prosper me because I have a Levite as priest. When we get to verses 7 through 13, here's the principle from this one. We're going to see that what sounds so awesome is still so awful because Jonathan, the priest guy, and Micah, for that matter, had the wrong master. What sounded awesome was still awful because they had the wrong master. You see their motives right here at the end. Now I know that the Lord will prosper me. God was not God of their life. God was someone they wanted to use to get their God, which was prosperity. Now I know things are going to go well for me because I hired me a priest. This is great. I have my own priest. I pay his salary. Therefore, he says what I want him to say. And Jonathan's very happy with that agreement, as we will see in the next chapter. He says what you want him to say if you will pay him to say it. He doesn't say what you don't want him to say if you don't pay him. Okay? He is very compliant because his God is not the Lord. It is his own well-being as well. 
This was a young guy from the religious tribe. He was eligible to be a priest. He goes on a journey looking for a new place to live and make a living. No real harm there. He happens upon what seems like a great opportunity. I can just imagine him sending a, a, the Old Testament version of an email to his parents or a text message or like a Snapchat to his parents and be like, Mom, you will not believe the door that God opened for me. I was needing a place to be and I found this guy and he's got a lot of money. And he's not only does he have a lot of money, but he needs a priest. He loves Jesus. And he just needs me to come into his house to wear the priestly garments. I mean, I'm from the priestly family, Mom. This is great news. Open door right here, Mom. All I need to do is help him worship God the wrong way. Man, this is a great sign from God. The door is open. The light is on. It's kind of like when you're passing by, like the, I know it's a little ways from here, but like you're passing by Krispy Kreme and you were planning on being on a diet, but then the hot now light is orange and you're like, it must be a sign from God to break my diet. He writes home and says, it must be a sign from God. They have money. I needed money. They have a place to stay. I needed a place to stay. They have security. They need somebody that's a priest. They need somebody from the priestly church. God, that must be me. The doors are open. Must be me. What sounded so awesome was still so awful. Because God was not their master. They were their own master of prosperity is what he wanted. Now I know, not that I'm okay with God, not that somebody will help me live for God the right way, not that somebody will correct me when I'm wrong. No, now I know that I'll hear what I want to hear and I'll be okay when I want to be okay and God will give me what I want. I have bought God off by buying my priest. Listen, if you're watching online today or you're in the room today, I'm glad you're here but you don't have a favor where you've bought God off for you to do what you want to do because you've showed up at church or listened to a sermon. And by the way, when the door looks really open, God is not the only one that can open doors in life. Okay? All the way back to Satan's original plan with Adam and Eve, Hey, doesn't this look good? Doesn't this look like an open door? I mean, it's fruit here. It's good for the body. It's good for the mind, good for the heart. All of these things. Here's an open door. Walk through it. And boom. Living your life according to open doors may not always go well according to God. What sounded so awesome was still so awful because they had the wrong master. Boys and girls in box two, draw Micah paying Jonathan or paying the priest to say things that make him happy. Okay, kind of a complicated one, but I think you can handle it. Draw Micah paying the priest to say things that make him happy. He only wanted to be happy and prosperous. Pros prosperous. we get to chapter 18 we see a tribe come along 
that tribe comes along and they have the same goal. There's no king in Israel. They do what's right in their own eyes. I'm going to summarize a bunch of material for us. What they were seeking to do was conquer a new land because they hadn't in faith walked with God in the land that they were supposed to be in, so they wanted a new land. They send some scouts out. The scouts come back with a good report on that new land. It sounds exactly like Joshua and Caleb's good report. And the people, unlike Joshua and Caleb in the book of Joshua, they actually believe and follow these scouts. And they're like, hey, let's go. Let's go for it. It's not what God commanded, but it sure does look good to us. We've got an open door. Let's walk through it. So along the way, they found that this Levite was there. They'd gotten some good words from him. He had told them what they wanted to hear, no indication that he actually sought God to tell them what they wanted to hear. But they had sounded, they'd heard what they liked, and they found out that there were some gods there. So then they move all the people, and a bunch of soldiers from the tribe of Dan come along. They steal the idols from Micah, and they say to Jonathan, hey, come with us. Why just make one family happy? It's way more prestigious to be an employee for all of us. We will take you from a house church pastor to a mega church pastor in one day. And we're going to like really take care of you and you can be important. Here's an open door. And Jonathan with his open door religion follows along, goes with them. Instead of pointing them to the God of the Bible who forgives, rescues, redeems, and delivers sinful people and calls them and equips them and uses for them for his glory... What we have is Jonathan willing to go to the highest bidder and tell people what they want to hear. Jonathan had what seemed like an awesome opportunity, but he was serving God. No, he was serving his money as his master. Verses 21 through 26, Micah realizes he's missing his idols. He chases after them. They taunt him. He decides that, that it's not going well with him. He essentially says, what do I have left? You stole my idols. I have nothing left to live for. And they're like, well, if you want to live, just go home. And he's like, well, let's see, count the cost on this one. Do I want to live with no idols or do I want to die with no idols? I'll go with live with no idols instead of die with no idols because I don't get the idols back because there's more of them than me. So he decides to go home. But what's amazing, there's this little shift from what began, I think, as his a desire to actually serve the Lord. It actually happens, and I noticed this this very morning when reviewing for this. He says to them, You've taken my gods. You've taken my gods. Verse 24, you've taken the gods that I made in my priest. What began with him, I think, as a desire to genuinely maybe honor God in a totally mistaken way has now become his God. And no truer words have been spoken. You've taken my gods. You've taken my prosperity. And what I think is going to make me really happy and in good shape in life. You've taken my gods. He had a lot of stuff going for him, but he was not worshiping the Lord. We get to the end of the story, verses 27 and following. So I want to re- follow along from verse 27. The people of Dan, that tribe, they took what Micah had made and the priest who belonged to him, and they came to Laish. To a people quiet and unsuspecting and struck them with the edge of the sword and burned the city with fire and there was no deliverer because it was far from Sidon and they had no dealings with anyone. It was in the valley that belongs to Beth Rehoboth and they built the city and lived in it. They named the city Dan after the name of Dan their ancestor who was born to Israel but the name of the city was Laish at first. And the people of Dan, by the way, all of this stuff is stuff that they should have done 
where God had sent them, not where God had not sent them. They took the commands of God and applied it in the wrong situation after failing to do it where God had told them to. And that is still wrong. The people of Dan, verse 30, they set up the carved image for themselves. And Jonathan, there's where we get his name, the son of Gershom, son of Moses, so he comes from a great spiritual lineage, and his sons were priests to the tribe of the Danites until the day of the captivity of the land. So they set up Micah's carved image that he made as long as the house of God was at Shiloh. That temple and religious place where they were supposed to gather was just too far away and inconvenient, so they needed their own priests who would tell them what they wanted to hear, and they found it in Micah and his descendants, or not Micah, in Jonathan and his descendants. What seemed to work so well, they took the city was still so wicked and their success was blinding them to their failures. That can happen to us as well. When all is going well, we may not turn to God. When things go in crisis mode, we might turn back to Him. But they were successful in their own eyes. And we live in a community, by and large, that has a lot of success in it. Yeah, there are people in other areas, or you know people that are more successful than you. But in our area, we have some of the brightest minds and highest incomes in the nation, some of the most successful people, great leaders. And in many cases, people are blind to their ultimate failure because of their temporary success. Boys and girls, in box three, draw someone sitting on a pile of money, but with a really bad heart. These people had everything they wanted and nothing that was most important. They had used what they thought was going to represent God in the wrong way. And then they had totally turned from God's ways. There's a great warning in this text. It's a great warning for me that's convicting for me. I pray it's convicting for you to look through and say, where are the things that seem so little that have crept into my life and where maybe I've been successful, but it's blinded me to my ultimate failures? Where are the things where I've followed the religion of the open door and walked through all the wrong doors? There was no king, so they did what was right in their own eyes. There would be a king, that would come, but it wasn't going to be a regular earthly king. Because all of the kings that would come in the near future were going to be broken people who might start poorly and then end better or start well and end poorly. The track record of the kings wasn't any better than the track record of the judges, but God did send a king. 
He sent a king that we are to bow down to and worship. He sent a king in King Jesus that didn't do what was only right in his own eyes, but instead he surrendered his own will to God, saying, Not my will, but yours be done. Doing what was right in God's eyes, that he might be our deliverer from when we've done what's wrong in the eyes of God, despite being right in our own eyes or the eyes of our culture. And it is only by God's grace that we can be in a right relationship with him. It is only by grace because we've committed so many of the sins found in this passage, maybe not and probably not in making a physical, shiny metal object to bow down to, but in doing things that are just simply seeming right and yet wrong when adding new ways to worship God or thinking on things about God that are not actually true. Worshiping a God who only wants people to do well and be okay, but not a God who would ever call out anything as actually being wrong. It's a new way to worship God because it's not actually God that you're worshiping there. Doing things that seem to work so well and yet being blinded to failures. Doing things that seem so awesome and yet are still so awful because of having the wrong master. I want to encourage you in the moments that come. The band's going to come up. They're going to lead us in a time of response. There's going to be three questions that pop up onto the screen that I want to ask you to respond to God to. Not for you to respond to God with what do people in our culture do? What does somebody else in our church need to do? What is that person that's next door to me or my, my, my person that I can elbow right now? What do they need to do? But God, search my heart. Show me the ways that are offensive to you that I came in today not even thinking about. God, what ways am I tempted to worship you wrongly? God, what's really my master? And God, is there anything in my life that's going well and yet is still offensive to you? God, where have I followed that open door and it's resulted in success and everybody thinks I'm a great success. I'm sitting on piles of achievement and you call it a failure. God, show me those things and by your grace, redirect me. By your grace and by the king who would give himself doing what was right in the eyes of God for those who have done what is right in their own eyes but not God's eyes. God, by your grace, restore me into a right relationship with you. Or maybe you would say, I've never trusted in Christ as Savior. I've done all of these things in a little way wrongly. And if that's a big deal, I'm in big trouble. Well, yes, you are, but there is great hope for you today. So over the next few moments, sit where you are. Reflect while the band quietly plays. And in a moment or two, they'll encourage you to stand and to sing with us. And during that time, if you've been praying through some of these things and you would say, Pastor, I need to talk with somebody. I need to surrender some of these things to the Lord. Or I need to trust Christ as Savior. When we rise to stand and sing in a minute, I hope and pray to see some of you in the back. But during this time, you respond to God, asking these questions and allowing the Spirit to search you and redirect you in the things that matter to him.
Draw your attention to your bulletin. 
announcements that are in there, including the fact that we have a called business meeting in just a few moments. So for those of you that are guests with our church, you're welcome to stick around and see how we do business here as a church with people that are a part of our church, having votes and says and serving in a variety of ways. Or you're also welcome. We're going to take about a five-minute recess from this time until the time the business meeting will begin. For those of you that are staying for the business meeting, there's minutes out on the table out there that you're welcome to look through during this time or to interact with each other during this next couple of minutes. Please make sure that you pick up your kids from the nursery or from Children's Church during this time. Also, I want to call your attention that though the school year is starting this week, we are praying for and encouraging and being a part of the lives of so many that are joining back you know, school, whether that's homeschool, whether that's public school, whether that's private school, so much is restarting right now. As people resume the rhythms of life, we're giving it about two weeks before our regular Wednesday evening and Sunday evening activities in the life of our church resume. That will not be until after Labor Day. So that Wednesday after Labor Day will be our first Wednesday night of the school year. That Sunday after Labor Day will be our first one with Awana on Sunday evening. You can look forward next week to some details coming out on that in print. But just want to let you know, you're not missing anything right now. Nothing has started immediately. Settle in. But as you settle in, settle into a rhythm that allows you to walk with God at home, prioritizing your time with Him whether that's in longer commutes because traffic has increased and you're listening to God's Word or something productive in your car as you're traveling because of traffic increasing and you don't have kids or whether it's because you've got kids in your home. Let me encourage you to settle into the right rhythm, walking with God, devoting yourself to Him, not just when you gather here, but when you're scattered, growing in Him and representing Him in the world that He has you in. I'm going to pray for us, and then, again, business meeting in about five minutes or so. And you're welcome to interact with each other. Guests, I'll be available outside, or for those that need to leave, I'll be available in the foyer. God, we thank you that you are beautiful, majestic, glorious, gracious, and that you receive us when we run to you, that you restore us when we admit our sin, that you guide us. For your glory and do not leave us alone. God, would you help us this year, this school year, whether we've got little ones in school, college students, or have never even had children. God, in this changing of the seasons, we thank you that you are faithful to us, and we ask that you would work in our lives, to draw us to you for your glory, that we would prioritize our walk with you above all else, that we would be a success in what matters most, being faithful to you and what you have for us, rather than pursuing all the wrong versions of success. God, we ask that you would grant teachers, administrators, bus drivers, and all that's involved in school systems, whether private and Christian, private and secular, public or homeschool, God, that you would grant them your wisdom, guidance, and protect, protection. God, that learning might happen, that good habits might be developed. And God, as our boys and girls go back to school this week, would they interact well and point people to you as they honor you 
being willing to stand for your glory, not falling prey to a world that says, do what's right in your own eyes, but that they would follow you, our King, in doing what is right in God's eyes. It's in your name we pray. Amen.